Good morning, listeners. Welcome to the first installment of the Med Ethics Podcast. I'm your host, Yesh, and I'm with my co-host, Neil, and we're excited to discuss our first case, uh, which is going to be the case of Joe. All of our cases will be taken off the Center for Practical Bioethics website, and the URL for the website and the case specifically will always be linked in the description. So you can either read before the podcast, follow along, and catch our references to when we refer to lines to talk about specific ethical uh, dilemmas. Um, Neil, would you like to summarize the case for the audience? For sure. All right, everyone, let's get started. So the case of Joe is really interesting, but basically the background is that uh, Joe is a 62-year-old building contractor, and uh, he had some heart issues, and so he was in the ICU for the last 10 weeks. Um, after he recovered from his heart surgery, his post-op was not uh, really going well, and he had many complications that led to his condition worsening over time. And uh, so the uh, medical staff ran lots of tests and reports, and they found out that there was a really, really low chance of Joe recovering at all uh, from his condition due to the complications, and there was nothing really that he could do. Um, and so on the Saturday of Joe's 10th week in the ICU, he actually ended up telling the staff who were caring for him that he did not want to live anymore and he wanted to die. And so um, they got his family involved and basically his family uh, brought up a really interesting point about Joe's personality. They said that he was always stubborn, he was never a quitter, and so it was really unusual for him to even think of something like this and just letting go like this. And so uh, the medical department got uh, ethics involved and psychiatry to assess his condition. And uh, in the end of the day, they actually came to the conclusion that he did have decisional capacity and he was able to maintain that. However, his family still put up the argument that uh, they didn't really know Joe the way that uh, his family did and he wasn't really thinking clear. And so uh, this uh, brings us to our ethical dilemma about basically a case of assisted suicide and whether it was right for um, if Joe should have his way and be able to uh, live off of the ventilator and end up passing away, or whether his family should be able to make that decision for him. Um, so what we see here is a classic example of the um, autonomy versus the uh, mental state of the actor in this situation, because Joe's autonomy, Joe has his autonomy and he wishes to um, no longer live on the ventilator but his family is petitioning petitioning about his mental state in the moment. Even if he does not have a clear psychological disability, um, his decision-making might be impaired because of the mental issues he's having, especially you see when patients are suffering from such um, bed rest and other conditions like that. So before we get dive into the ethical uh, dilemma, there's a few things we need to acknowledge. The first thing I would like to talk about is that there's no case of full or even partial recovery. So if Joe were to stay alive, um, it would be on on the bed in the ventilator and he would never be able to return home. Another thing that we have to mention is that the physician clearly states that it's, that it's not legal for them to stop treating a patient uh, when it, um, especially with decisional capacity. Um, so in that state, it's not legal. Also, um, we need to acknowledge that although the family said that this is not what Joe is usually like, we need to keep in mind that it was overwhelming. Every one of the family members said that Joe was not a quitter and he would never do something like this. So with that said, I think um, we are, I think we're good to go on the 
discussion. Neil, are you ready to start? Yeah, for sure. Let's get started. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So what, what's the first thing you would like to talk about in this case? Uh, I'd really want to explore how exactly would they um, evaluate his decisional capacity making? Because I think uh, there's a fine line between what medicine and especially psychiatrists can evaluate about a person. But at the same time, we also have to acknowledge the family's perspective because I'm sure they've also known him for many years. And so I think whenever it comes to treating a patient or uh, really getting a fruitful diagnosis, we need to acknowledge both those aspects of uh, personality, but also what the science says. I agree. I think there's definitely an element of the professional versus the familial or the personal aspect of mental capacity and decision uh, making because the psychiatry psychiatrist has no uh, background knowledge of what Joe usually acts like. So when he does do the evaluation, it's going to be more of an, more on an objective scale, most likely on a diagnostic manual. But the family has known Joe for a long time and knows how he thinks and how he acts. So I think they would have a much deeper input of whether what Joe's acting like right now correlates to what he usually acts like or if he's under um, mental stress because of his condition. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, whenever you're looking at any patient, there's so many aspects that uh, doctors and just, you know, what you were talking about, yes, psychiatrists especially have to evaluate. Because, you know, I think you have to remember, you're not looking at a specimen, you're looking at a person. And they're affected by um, a lot of factors that really we have no control over. That's just the way life is. And so I think uh, I think with Joe especially, I don't know if they, uh, they talked about this at all, but maybe his religious beliefs um, could have intersected with whether he wanted to die or not. I mean, some people have morals against that, that, you know, if you want to pass away, then forcing yourself into doing it will not be the best thing. But also at the end of the day, I mean, Joe would be the person who even if he had lived, um, would have to continue in this condition and just be on a ventilator. <laughs> and so considering that he was, you know, 60 years old, he had a job and apparently he had recovered from things like this in the past. And uh, he was motivated, definitely must have hurt his confidence a little bit to uh, suddenly have his whole life change just because of one surgery that didn't necessarily go the right way. I definitely agree. I think um, when his family refers to him like suffering through stuff like this and fighting through it, I think there's this case might be different because the quality of life, even if he does survive this, is completely changed. Like in the previous instances, he was still able to work and be a building contractor and live his life. And so that's why he may have had the incentive or the motivation to fight through But this time, even if he does um, stay in the facility and get treatment continuously, his quality of life is drastically diminished. He's still going to have to be on a ventilator on a bed. So I think that definitely um, changes how hard or how willing he is to keep fighting on instead of just asking the doctor to pull the plug. Right. And at the end of the day, I mean, you know, obviously having a good support system around you and having hope whenever you're going through something tough like this as a patient or, you know, even as a family member, both the roles are really important to consider. But at the end of the day, I mean, if uh, if his bodily functions are, you know, kind of giving up on him and you're having to rely on a machine to, you know, keep him alive, but that's not what the patient wants and he doesn't want to, you know, make his family suffer through this as well. I think that's something that should actually be given a little bit more preference, to be honest. 
I agree, but also I feel like the elephant in the room we need to talk about is even if the patient wants it, is it even moral to allow him to die or not give him treatment, even if it is in his own autonomy? I mean, that's definitely a valid point because, you know, for the doctors, they have to go into any case, whether it's an ER or, you know, someone who's just coming in, rush into an ambulance. They, they aren't looking at any of these factors. For the doctors, they're going to do whatever they can to provide that patient with the best care and the highest chance of living, right? At the end of the day, they can't necessarily control everything as um, evident by the complications we saw in Joe's case, but it is their responsibility to do the best they can, right? I think one thing I would like to reference is the Hippocratic Oath, which is what all physicians and um, I think some medical personnel have to take before entering the field. I'm not sure, but I know it's very commonly used and one of its what one of the things it preaches is to treat the sick to the best of one's ability, and it never mentions how the sick feel or if they don't want to be treated to the best ability. You know, so I think there's definitely going to be some conflict there. Um, it's just in this case, I don't even know if it's about the mental state anymore because the case clearly states that he was in decisional capacity even if he was under mental stress. It's just whether. he should be allowed well not him being allowed if if it's legal or even moral for us to stop treating him right i mean that's something that's uh you know it's definitely got a lot of intersections and crossroads that people's opinions are gonna end up um you know not coming together at because i think it's a it's a lot more personal as well and obviously you have to respect you know what anyone wants But at the same time, you have to understand, you know, like we said, doctors have to do their job, right? And um, for the doctors, you're looking at each patient as, you know, you have to treat them like you would a family member, right? You can't really give preference to one patient over the other. To them, you know, you are treating another human being who's been through whatever, and you have to do your best to provide that quality of care. And so I think, uh, especially whenever you mentioned the Hippocratic Oath, I think we're really talking about Um, being unbiased as well even though I don't think bias would be the case here but also you have to understand that doctors are trained um, you know in their fields to deal with this type of stuff and so I think they would obviously know what what would be the better decision to make about you know whether they should let the patient live their last you know few days or whatever with their family or whether there is a chance to you know keep on pushing and just try for treatment rather than letting it go so easily. I agree. I think also another thing we need to mention is that um, Joe thinks he has no option of living or that he's going to face mortality very soon anyways. But I'm not sure if this bias at all, or not bias, but maybe hopeful, but his family does say he he's actually getting better. He can breathe. This is all quoted from the case, by the way. He's actually getting better. He can breathe off the vent. His color is much better compared to a week ago. Can you at least not pull the plug for a few days, maybe a week to give this a chance? So another thing we need to consider is the time interval. Do the patient's uh, needs or his autonomy need to be complied instantly? Or would we actually need to take the chance of allowing him to see if he's going to recover or not? based on the family's wishes that's yeah that's really valid i didn't actually didn't notice that but yeah after the family members especially did say he was getting better i mean of course you know the numbers and test results do mean a lot 
but um, you know, going back to his personality, if he's able to breathe off of the vent, then maybe he is, you know, giving it one last hurrah, you know, one last fighting chance to maybe improve some as well. And so it's definitely, uh, definitely important to acknowledge that as well. But then once again, this diagnosis is made by the family and not licensed physician. So this should, this could just be them being hopeful because Joe is a loved one to them. So they're going to wish that the best is happening. So they could have falsely understood that he was getting better when he really wasn't. Yeah, that's just bias in the moment. I mean, obviously, if you're having to witness someone who you was so close to you and who you've loved, uh, you know, progressively get worse, especially to the capacity of which Joe uh, deteriorated so quickly with his MRSA that was uh, mm-hmm. that infected him, and then the hearing loss as well. All these things that he had never suffered from before, then it's a it's really a big leap. So at that point, any slight improvement, um, you know, which the numbers might not necessarily uh, approve. Um, at the same time, I mean, you would want to bring that up to a bigger scale, right? And mm-hmm hope for improvement even though there might not be improvement at the same time i think in my opinion at least that the physician should wait to pull the plug because even though they the family says he's been through worse than this he went back to work he must be depressed or not thinking clearly now that could be completely valid the thing is if you leave him on the ventilator for a couple days you have much more time to make that decision but if you pull the plug and later realize that he was not thinking clearly or was not in the right mental st- state, th- there's going to be much more dire consequences than just waiting. I mean, that's definitely true. And also, I mean, uh, you know, especially with his brain and the neuroscience of it all as well, there could be a lot of things that, you know, CT scans or MRIs or any of these things aren't picking up at the same time um, that, you know, might be going on in Joe's head. And obviously, you can do your best with all the moral support and everything that his family is doing. But at the end of the day, it is a it is up to the doctors to uh, give him the best chance of fair treatment, um, rather than Joe. And you know, I'm I'm assuming that they have informed Joe of um, how his uh, treatment is going. But at the same time, if he's not in that decisional capacity at all, we have no idea of knowing that he's actually comprehending that the doctors are saying that, you know, his state is improving or worsening and making an informed decision based on that. And we need to keep in mind that the physician clearly states, um, we can't give you something to die. That's not legal, not in this state. So even if we do uh, understand that Joe's in the right mental state and that he has his own autonomy, even if we did want to comply to his wishes, the physicians would not be able to just because of legality. Yeah, for sure. And also, I mean, um, I'm not sure if they still do this, but I'm pretty sure I'd heard of a case where uh, something similar had happened to another person and they still wanted to uh, basically be let off the ventilator, but wasn't allowed in their state as well. And so they ended up uh, wanting to be like flied or uh, uh, airlifted to another hospital in another state just to let go of the plug there. But in that whole process, the patient underwent so much trauma that they ended up uh, is passing away at that instant and so it kind of became counterintuitive to go through all that trouble and uh, end up having to pass away that way I agree I think I actually heard about that case but in addition to that I heard about another one where these autonomy versus um, what's best for you I guess you could say um, 
could be accounted for. I forgot the name of the actual case, but there was a teenager, I think 16 or 17 years old, who was suffering from cancer. And the physician and the family members all um, advised her to undergo chemotherapy. But as you know, chemotherapy is not a pleasant process. It's very painful and it is harmful to your body, even though it does help with the cancer. So the teenager herself actually did um, some research, not thorough or like the same level of the physicians, obviously, and started getting into alternative medicine, like essential oils and that kind of stuff. And she requested not to undergo chemotherapy, even though it's scientifically proven that chemotherapy would be the best option for her. So then, and since she is a minor, would we have to undergo her autonomy? I mean, not undergo, but would we have to comply to her autonomy or do what's best for her? And I think that that has a lot of striking similarities with the case of Joe. What do you think about that other case I just mentioned, Neil? I mean, yeah, it definitely does have a lot of similarities. Um, uh, to be honest, I'm not, I think alternative medicine, you know, there are ways and methods that do work, but in something as severe as cancer or chemotherapy, which should be um, procedural things that any patient should ideally should follow that process. Um, <laughs> I don't think it would be best to keep the teenager's autonomy there. I mean, at the end of the day, you are working with a minor and, uh, you know, obviously we understand that you'd be wanting to explore your own options, but the physician has been trained for many years to understand, you know, what your cancer is, how to treat it. And so, you know, a lot of the things on the internet are good, but at the same time, there's no guarantee that any method will work. So if I were her, I'm not sure if you could do this, but maybe try the essential oils if you'd really want to, but I would not compromise on not taking the chemotherapy at all. I completely agree with you. I also think she didn't want to take the chemotherapy just because of the drawbacks of it, not because she wanted to pursue the alternative medicine completely. Right. Um, because as we do, as we all know, chemotherapy does come with a lot of side effects. But I was just wondering where does age come into play? Because a lot of people say age is not is just a number, but that's not always the case because with age comes maturity, comes legal autonomy, at least when you turn 18. So how does that, a 17-year-old refusing treatment, um, defer? Uh, there's actually some difference in the cases because she's ref refusing the treatment for in pursuit of another treatment. Joe's just refusing the treatment alto altogether because he no longer deserves... Uh, he, he, uh, he no longer thinks that um, he wishes to live. So how does age, even though the cases are slightly different, how does the age affect the ability of that person to make the decision for themselves? I mean, I think you definitely bring up a great point. Maturity is probably one of the, the biggest things that would affect it. I mean, Joe, I'm assuming, you know, as he's 62 years old at that time, He's seen life, he's had a career, he has a loving family around him. And so, uh, I mean, we also have to recognize that he wasn't reluctant in the first place to undergo the heart surgery, right? So he was well aware at that time that there could be complications and he was ready to handle it. But he, you know, there's no way of determining to what, what level would the complications occur, right? So uh, compared to the 17 year old, however, like, you know, Cancer itself is also unpredictable, but the general idea is just that, you know, it would spread. You'd have to undergo any type of treatment that would just stop the spread of the cancer and hopefully hold it off as much as you can 
before we'll come back again, right? Mm -hmm. At the same time though, the 17 year old, I mean, her having cancer at such a young age is already worse enough, but she has a whole life ahead of her. And uh, obviously wanting to experiment with other methods of treatment by yourself, I'm not opposed to that at all. I think you should you know, do whatever works for you. But something as serious as cancer shouldn't be taken lightly in order to just avoid treatment or just say to a physician who's been trained for so long that you know you wouldn't want to take that treatment. In Joe's case, however, I think uh, him refusing the treatment after the complications is a little bit different and we should respect his opinion and give it a little bit more weight considering his age and his maturity and how he was before. The 17 year old, yes, her opinion is important. It should be valued. And at the end of the day, she is the one who is suffering, but we should you know, consider at the end of the day, she's not even uh, an adult in a court of law, right? Mm -hmm. um, one thing I would like to say is this is just a theoretical situation. As she refuses and all the physicians and parents know that chemotherapy is the best approach, we couldn't, it wouldn't, would it even be allowed to force the treatment on her? Because although she is a minor, she still is a person and has her own autonomy. So would it even be allowed or morally like justified to force the treatment on her? Um, I'm, I think this goes into like a lot of bylaws and medicine, but um, I think only because she's not 18, her consent waiver can still be signed by her parents. I don't think, I don't know if the doctor, I mean, the doctor who's treating her, I don't know if you know, he or she personally would be okay with doing that, but I'm sure they would find someone, if the parents really believed that the chemotherapy was the best option for their daughter, I think they would have to find a physician who would be willing to do that, even though um, at 17, she wouldn't be able to legally consent to it. Mm -hmm. Well, um... For going legality for a second, I think it's important to acknowledge that even though some people are not the age of 18, they have the maturity or the, um, not chronological, but they have the, uh, instead of like the age maturity, their maturity is ahead of their age, even more so than that of an 18 year old or even older than that. So what would you do in cases like that? Because even though by legality, she doesn't have the right to consent if she's de deemed mature enough or has enough decisional capacity, what would we do in that scenario? And how would we That's... determine that? How would we determine if someone is more mature and has decisional capacity to someone who is still a minor and needs to have her consent uh, filled out by her parents or the physician? I think, uh, I mean, this would be an extreme case, but I think one of the best ways to look would maybe be their personal record. I mean, if a, uh, if a minor has a history of like, you know, doing drugs or alcohol, making irresponsible decisions in the moment, that type of thing, I think that would, uh, you know, that would have some weight against them. I mean, and also I'm assuming this would probably go to a court, right? Or to the ethics committee at the hospital, something like that, because this would be a pretty, pretty big instance. So I think definitely looking and, you know, trying to evaluate their personality to some extent or the decisions they've made, how responsible they are would uh, uh would have an impact but also i think it would depend on how much uh respect the parents give their own child as well because i'm assuming that you'd have to have that type of mature relationship with your parents at uh at that age for them to you know say oh you know my child is more than just a small small baby anymore right they're their own person 
their own thoughts and their opinion should be uh, valued on this stuff. I agree with the second part you said with the parental relationship that the child has and whether they deem her mature enough to make her own decisions. But I disagree with your assessment of um, diving into personal records and that stuff. I think drugs and alcohol, that's definitely um, impaired decision-making, but I don't know if we can judge her or her decisional capacity overall just by those records. Also, I think that would be an invasion of privacy, but I definitely see where you're coming from, where you're trying to use her past experiences to determine her decisional capacity and her maturity right now. I just don't think that would be the best way of approach. Um, and this is a very complicated um, dilemma because maturity is su it's subjective. There's right. different types of maturity. There's emotional maturity. There's physical maturity. Um, so, and I guess you could say there's decisional maturity, but um, just a quick bit of neuroscience in here. The prefrontal cortex is actually what controls decision-making in humans. And it's not fully developed until the age of 20 and some studies say even until the age of 25, but that's not in all cases, that's in general. So if some, some individuals are more mature for their age, I think it's just such an abstract concept. It would just be hard to gauge whether a person is mature enough to make decisions about their own life, not just their life, about whether they should, uh, decisions that could affect whether they keep living or not. Yeah, that's definitely a valid point as well. I mean, um, also at the end of the day, I mean, going back to, uh, you know, what you disagreed with about the drugs and alcohol and that, I'm actually going to change my stance here. I think that the uh, the personal experiences do matter a little bit, but at the end of the day, you have no idea of, you know, what that teenager is going through. Maybe it was peer pressure. Maybe it was, you know, they were clinically depressed and they resorted to something like that. And those types of things shouldn't necessarily affect the treatment at that moment in time, I think. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I think that's actually the, sorry to interrupt you, but I think I, that's actually the perfect segue because that's what's actually happening with Joe right now. What you just yes. said about the teens and peer pressure and external factors, basically, that cause you to make bad decisions. Joe's uh, quality of life and he's bedridden, he's lost his hearing. All of those could contribute to his decision-making right now whether he wants the doctor to pull the plug or not. So just, I just wanted to return to the main case a little bit because I saw a lot of similarities and I just wanted to point that out. No, that's definitely true. I mean, um, I mean, also Joe, his family has known him, uh, you know, for whatever time. But also I think uh, if you really want to um, get a holistic idea of how Joe was doing at that moment, uh, before he was in the ICU as well, maybe look at, uh, you know, his employees or colleagues that worked with him, something like that, rather than just having um, a biased family perspective on there as well. And I think that's one of the hardest things for any physician, psychiatrist especially, to have to deal with these types of things. Because at the end of the day, whenever it's coming to uh, evaluating a person, you know, regardless of their vital signs or their diagnosis, you have to realize that there's a lot of factors affecting this person's uh, personality or their characteristics, their traits, how they're feeling in that moment at that time. And, you know, once again, that's just what life is. You have no control over that, even as a third person, you know, coming in and evaluating their condition. 
I, I agree with almost everything you said and the person of getting like a third party opinion on Joe's personality overall. I just feel like that would break some confidentiality issues. I mean, yes, some laws yes. because you can't just be like this person suffering from this illness and he wishes to get the plug pulled. Do you think his personality is usually a fighter or a quitter? You know, <laughs> no, not to make light of the situation, of course, but I think there it's a very difficult dilemma because it's the classic autonomy versus mental state thing and with all of the family on on the uh, mental state side and the physician saying it's illegal it's just whether joe's autonomy is is morally weighted enough to overpower all of that i think that's what's going on right here yeah i couldn't have said it better i mean i think at the end of the day there's in, in cases like this and they happen frequently too right mm-hmm. um there's not really ever going to be any right decision that can uh, make both parties you know completely content with uh, whatever the issue is and that's just something you have to acknowledge i mean as a physician your first responsibility is always towards your patient not towards anyone else right not towards their family mm-hmm. and so uh you know you have to realize too doctors are also human beings they have lots of responsibility lots of weight on them and whenever you have to you know be the person to go out to a patient's family and you know either tell them that hey they did really well or they're not going to make it it's a lot of emotional weight on your shoulders mm-hmm. and uh, i think you know regardless of whether you're a patient or whether you know someone who is you know currently not doing too good or if they're in the hospital i think you just appreciate what doctors go through as well because at the end of the day um they always are going to have the best interest of the patient in mind I think we should just give them that respect for that as well. I agree. And I think this might be one of the uh, less important uh, things to consider. But Joe being 62, he has lived most of his life. And if he wishes to not live the rest on a much lower quality of living, I think it's that's definitely understandable because it's hard to live a life filled with family and joy and a stable job and all of that and to have all that taken away and just be bedridden with a ventilator um, I can definitely see where he's coming from and I don't think that would be impairment of decisional capacity I think that's just doing what he seems the best option right yes I 100% agree I mean also I think um, if you look at Stephen Hawking he had ALS right Mm -hmm. yeah um I mean, that happened to him when he was super young. He was right in the middle of, you know, constructing a lot of scientific breakthroughs. And, uh, you know, he was constantly dealing with theories. And so, you know, whenever that happened, it completely changed his life. But at the same time, you have to understand, he was so young at that time. He, you know, he had the motivation and the drive that he had not seen enough of life yet. And he wanted to keep going. And so that pushed him into, you know, living the other 75% of his life on this earth with the condition that he had, but continue to be able to work, um, not like he was able to in his 20s, but still be able to contribute to the scientific community, right? Mm-hmm. Joe, think, on the other yeah, yeah go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was just saying that uh, Joe, on the other hand, he, you know, maybe he did have problems with his heart in the past, which, you know, led up to his surgery he had to have, but he was able to live a fruitful life with, you know, friends and family and have a successful business, those types of things till whenever he could. 
now whenever he's old he's you know obviously getting really close to retirement as well right 65 is retiring age he wanted to experience life you know kind of as a as a third person right just being able to witness things not necessarily be active all the time or even if he wanted to be active right but he did you know any person would want their quality of life to still be higher right not necessarily deteriorating and i think he understood that yeah, he would not be able to ever act like, you know, he was in his 20s again or feel that young, but to have everything stripped away from his health like that due to things that he couldn't control was definitely a big letdown. I think in addition to like living a full life, it's just um, what your purpose really is because um, Stephen Hawking, he was only 20 and he had that entire purpose of the scientific, uh, making scientific breakthroughs and he was trying to solve that problem. Um, so I think he definitely had a huge incentive to keep going on, but Joe, um, he's near the, uh, not the near the end of his life, but maybe near the end of his career, maybe he feels like he's accomplished everything he wants to in his life. Um, he's ha- he has a great family, he has a stable job, and all of that. I feel like there's not much that he can return to if he's still bedridden in a very low quality of life, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, that's definitely true. I think, uh, you know, this is getting a little bit more into philosophy, but I think one of the biggest parts of life too is obviously, you know, having the fruitful life, having experiences, but also knowing when to detach, right? We all have to accept that, you know, whether someone passes away, you know, today or tomorrow or the next 50 years, all of us are going to have to go at some point, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, whenever that time does come, we're not saying to stop the treatment at all. No, you should give it your best chance that you can, but there's no reason to force anything into it either, where, you know, you're leaving behind a family that's traumatized that you ended up passing away, you know, um, because of some complication. I mean, ideally, I think this is just my opinion, but I would think the the best way for someone I would know to pass away would just be naturally if they could. And I think the pain is a lot more whenever you'd have to witness someone you know, uh, connected to a bunch of machines with needles in them everywhere and having to witness that experience compared to them just saying, you know, I love my family, I love my friends, I'm thankful for what I had, but now's the time to let go. I definitely agree. If a person feels like they've done everything they've needed to and they've um, accomplished what they've needed to and they feel, um, I want to say fulfilled with their life and they're content with how their life has gone, feel like they definitely have the right to do that. But moving into like a quick ethical discussion, I think there's definitely two uh, underlying moral principles in play here, um, utilitarianism and Kantian ethics. So for those of you who don't know, Kantian ethics is strictly um, by principles. There's universal principles that always need to be followed, such as lying, that, such as not lying, always telling the truth, and always respecting life. So looking from the Kantian Kantian ethical viewpoint, uh, clearly in this case, at least, Joe would not be, um, the uh, the plug will not be pulled because regardless of external factors, um, willingly letting a person die or not treating them to the best of your ability is, best of your ability, sorry, is morally wrong. So from the Kantian viewpoint, that's actually pretty simple. You would not pull the plug. But what I actually wanted to discuss with you is a utilitarian viewpoint in which we discuss the um, positives and the negatives of each choice. 
So it's not as straightforward as the Kantian ethical approach because there's not a strict rule. We have to actually weigh the positives and the negatives. So I actually wanted some help from you with that, Neil. Um, so if, yes. you wanna, if you want to talk about the positives of pulling the plug or letting Joe die, I'll talk about the negatives. So Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I just think straight off the bat, the utilitarianism is a lot more democratic. And, uh, you know, obviously, whenever you're discussing the pros and cons of something, you know, it's going to feel a lot more, uh, lot more um, equal, I think, in the decision. -making. I think it's also more comprehensive and not yes, straight. Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, okay, but yeah, the, the pros of just pulling the plug and uh, letting Joe go, I think it would just end the pain for Joe at that point. He wouldn't have to keep on suffering. And so I think at the end of the day, it would definitely make his moments before, you know, he'd have to go a lot more peaceful than, um, you know, what, uh, what his family might have thought before. And so um, to me, I think that would hold a lot more weight of, you know, him being able to calm down and just accept it before, you know, he's not naturally let go, but it's a lot, of, um, a lot more steady approach, I think. Right, because you're having to accept that truth that is going to happen, but I'm okay with it, right? And he, since he's also the main person this case is about, and since this entire issue is about him, I think his positives and negatives, or his consequences, should be considered more. Because even though the family will suffer, yes, it's Joe who's having the most like painful experience. So I think his needs and wants should be taken into they should be I definitely they agree. Should be emphasized at least is what i'm trying to say um i think the other thing too uh is obviously you know joe's already been through a lot he was conscious of his decision to um to undergo the heart surgery right and at the same time he was conscious of like you know his MRSA infection and his hearing uh, had gone down all the complications that happened afterwards so you know letting him know that he will have his last wish of, you know, just being able to pass away peacefully is a lot more fulfilling to him rather than him having to worry about the insecurity that, hey, if I undergo another operation, I could die at any moment and I'm not even going to have the peace of mind that I said, you know, farewell to my family and they were able to see me pass away like that, right? Um, at the same time too, though, you know, I talked about, you know, his family seeing him pass away or being with them in his last moment. That could be something that Joe didn't want, right? Maybe he didn't want them to, you know, have to see him like this. And so he just wanted to end it now rather than, you know, let his family see that his condition deteriorated more, right? Yeah. So are there, do you think there are any other positives or should we move on to the other side of the... Uh, I, th I think that's, you know, all the pros. What do you think, Ish? So I'm going to start from the least uh, negative to the most negative. I think legality is definitely a big issue in this situation, but considering the situation, I think legality will be one of the more minor negatives. So it's definitely going to, pulling the plug on Joe would definitely be a negative, would definitely have a negative consequence of breaking the law. But I think another thing we need to consider is the morality of it. That would also be negative because you're letting a person die. I'm not really sure how that conflicts with autonomy, but that piece itself would definitely be negative. And I think you can add a positive for autonomy on your side, right? Yes. I think the one thing we do need to talk about is the family, how the family feels, because they definitely feel like letting Joe live would be a positive, correct? 
Right. Because, but what if they don't know? What if they're unaware of the pain they'll go through by seeing Joe in that situation? What if unknowingly it's actually a positive for the family too if joe has a peaceful and satisfied death and they have a better grieving process right i mean that's the big idea at that point in that moment i mean uh you know no hate to the family at all i mean at the end of the day we're all humans right (laughs) we're going whenever we're faced with emotional burdens like this we're going to think with our hearts not with our brains necessarily and so um, I'm not saying that it's not a practical perspective that we should evaluate or anything like that. It's just that until the event actually happens, you know, whenever you're close to losing someone or you do lose someone, you don't really know what would have been the best decision at that time. Exactly. And I don't want to speak for the family because they had to endure this firsthand and I don't want to put words or emotions in them. But I think it would be more meant or let's just say if it was my situation and one of my loved ones was going through the same thing, I think even if I didn't know in the situation, I would be happier if I fulfilled the patient's last wish and let them have a peaceful going away. And then I would be able to better know that he or she died peacefully and be able to accept it and grieve it better, you know? Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, knowing that you were able to you know, even if it wasn't you necessarily who did it, but you were a part of just making, you know, the last few moments they had uh, meaningful to them. And at the same time, also, you have to understand that Joe's 62, right? He has a lot of uh, self-respect for himself. And, uh, you know, you still have to treat him as a normal person, even though he's in this process, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you know, we do understand, yes, he's as, you know, weaker than what he used to be. His condition's not the, you know, stubborn, um, you know, no quitter Joe that he was, but he's still a person, right? He's still Joe um, that he used to be, and you have to respect that. I think the no quitter thing, that was the main case that came up about him, like, decisional capacity, but I think we can both come to a consensus that his decisional capacity didn't change, it's just that his situation changed. I agree. That was a great way to put it. I think we're basically on the same track here. But one thing, since this is our first episode, we li- I'd like to clear up to y'all, to the audience, is that at the end of each case, Neil and I will both present our final decision and expand upon what we would do in such a moral situation. So, yeah, we'll call that decision time, Neil. Ready for decision <laughs> time? Okay. I definitely um, am. Okay, so you say yours and expand on it however much you want to, and then I'll say mine. Sounds good. Yeah, so after reviewing the case of Joe and uh, evaluating the pros and cons, I would respect Joe's decision here. Um, At the same time, the autonomy is really important uh, for him, but also I think we have to just recognize how old he is, how mature he is, and uh, that he has the right to make his own decisions. However, I would, um, you know, I would support the thing that the the, the argument the family was making, at least let, uh, you know, wait for a week maybe, and if that is able to bring the family peace at the same time and Joe peace at the same time, I would, you know, I would agree with that. Let him be on the ventilator for a week, see how it is. And, uh, you know, if it stays the same or if he does deteriorate more, I think we should be able to respect Joe's decision and let him off of the ventilator peacefully. Uh, I definitely agree with you, but with slight nuance. So I think the weak thing that's definitely coming into play here But this is the family's diagnosis. I feel like the physician should do a diagnosis of whether his condition is actually getting better or worse. 
because the family is seeing saying that they would be happier if he keeps living in a better scenario but if that's just false hope and he's actually getting worse that's actually more pain for the family and for joe so i would say that if the physician does like a check through and sees that joe's condition is getting better i would at least give it a couple of days or a week to see if they if he recovers but if he's getting worse i think that's just more pain for joe and more suffering for the family that's where i think his autonomy needs to be respected yep i agree with that i actually uh, i did not evaluate that point but thank you for bringing it up yeah no problem so um we're just going to do a slight summary so actually that was most of the summary but we can <laughs> just touch on a little bit so yeah, this was a classic case, uh, classic case of autonomy versus mental state. We later um, determined that the mental state was all right. Um, it's just whether Joe's wishes need to be fulfilled or the family's um, wishes for him to keep him alive needs to be fulfilled. There was also a legal aspect there, but it wasn't that prominent out of everything else in the case. Um, anything you want to add on, Neil? Uh, no, I think you summed it up pretty well. I just said. Um... Just want to say that if, uh, if our audience knows anyone who's undergoing this, um, you know, obviously we respect any decision you make. It's not our place to say, but um, I think I just like to say thank you to all our healthcare workers and, uh, you know, for anyone who's understanding uh, these types of viewpoints. And it's a really personal matter. So. And definitely. Also, since a lot of this, we are going to talk about uh, medical ethics and life or death scenarios. Everything we say is our opinion. And at the end of the day, it all it all comes down to what you think. And the case of Joe won't be the exact case of whatever or whoever you know. So there's going to be plenty of external factors. And all of those choices are up to y'all. This is just our um, discussion of a theoretical case and what we feel about it. Um, we tried to go as nuanced as we could and discuss as much complexity as we could. But we do know we, there's no way we can cover all of it. But I think we did do well for our very first episode. We'd just like to say thank you so much for tuning in. You can message us on our page and any questions or ethical dilemmas you would like to address, we, you can send those to us and we'll make sure to cover those. Yeah, thank you so much for atten- uh, listening to our first episode. Neil and I are very happy to do it for y'all. Um, next week, we're actually going to talk about family opposition to organ donation. So we hope to see you all there as well. Uh, As stated, the URL for the case is in the description, so you can look over that again. Uh, Yeah, once again, thank you so much for joining in. Neil, do you want to say anything? Uh, I just like to say we hope you enjoyed this episode and... Don't forget to stay ethical. See you all next time.